Ryan Stanton here with ASAP Frontline, joined by a guest that we had a couple of years ago. Uh, return again, live recordings from here at Emerald Coast Conference in Destin, Florida, um, with Dr. Randy Sorge. And um, a couple of topics here, uh, talking about burns and as well as team dynamics. And I want to talk about team dynamics uh, because it's uh, a topic that we don't uh, consider a ton. But as emergency medicine, we know that it takes a team uh, probably more than almost anywhere else in the hospital uh, or in the healthcare setting is the team necessary, the, the, the dynamics and the working together of the um, physicians as well as the uh, nursing and tech and whatever support staff and everybody else that's involved um, across the board um, to make emergency medicine happen and make it efficient and a supportive, um, supportive environment. So he's got a, a talk here, actually ducked in for uh, some of it as it as has happened in the past tense here at the conference and uh, wanted to pull him aside and, and grab some of the nuggets from that to pass on to you and those that can't make it to this conference uh, here in Destin. You should try it next year though because um, it's one of my favorites that I go to every single year. I think it's 15 years in a row now. So uh, Dr. Sorge, kind of give us a little bit of uh, background and uh, tell us a little bit about yourself. Hey Ryan, thank you so much for having me today. I really appreciate it. Um, I am originally from Connecticut. I currently work at LSU in New Orleans. I'm a New Orleans transplant. I did my training at Mount Sinai in New York and I'm an APD for LSU. I also uh, help run the clerkship and uh, you know, I'm really interested in the leadership aspect part of emergency medicine. I was one of the main things that got me into emergency medicine to begin with is just, you know, how to orchestrate and run, you know, a diverse team of uh, different types of clinical providers. And, um, you know, I got interested in communication, team dynamics, conflict resolution, and all those types of topics just because I ran into so many hurdles in the clinical environment myself, you know, trying to get things done. And I was like, there's got to be a better way, you know. So um, I picked apart some literature, you know, uh, a lot of stuff in my presentation comes out of Harvard Business Review, uh, some comes out of, uh, you know, different types of like HR literature. And I was like, how can we translate this to the clinical environment? How can I apply to our practice to make my day to day better? So let's talk about that definition of the team and the dynamics within emergency medicine. Kind of give us that breakdown and then why that's going to be so important for us in the EM setting. Yeah, you know, uh, team dynamics is just like what it sounds like. It's just about how people interact, how they communicate, how do they get along, you know? And uh, as we all know, that can either be good, bad, or anything in between. Um, but I think that our role as, you know, ER physicians, we just have a lot of power to influence, excuse me, to influence that dynamic and um, to make it better. Um, I, I always see myself as, you know, the WD-40 that's just trying to grease the rusty wheels in the machine, right? Between us, the nurses, the consultants, patients and their families, etc. And um, so I think that uh, that's kind of like the essence of what it is for team dynamics. And actually, it's, it's one of the things you mentioned. Um, not only, you know, we have that opportunity for good and bad, potentially, you know, that we, we can actually, as, a, as physicians, we have that potential to push it in both directions. Oh, um, definitely. Of, of being able to make and build that team atmosphere, that interdisciplinary team atmosphere, or potentially be just the opposite of that WD-40 reference and actually cause more rust on those cogs and make it more difficult 
Um, so let's talk about that ED team and how are we unique um, with that team approach um, in, in impacting the front end uh, of the hospital and, and acute care process. So there are obviously very different types of teams, okay? And what we do in the clinical environment is so different than what they do like in the business world, right? Um, so our clinical team in the ER is what's known as an interdisciplinary action team, which is like a bunch of fancy words. But what it means is we're composed of highly specialized members that basically have to cooperate and get along and perform important tasks in a ever-changing situation, right? It's very dynamic in the ER to basically deliver good patient care. And then of course we have the uh, added bonus of trying to simultaneously train and develop more novice members of our team as if it wasn't difficult enough. And then not to mention the fact that, you know, ex expectation of, you know, near perfection in terms of the clinical, clinical care we provide, but also expectations on the interactions um, with the staff as well as with our patients and their families, um, you know, dealing with them, the patient satisfaction, which I know makes us all kind of cringe a little bit uh, with, with seeming to be more and more moving towards that satisfaction industry um, when most of us want to make sure that the primary focus from a physician standpoint is going to be that uh, being able to that inner, that relationship with our patients and their families in order to get the information, make efficient diagnoses, uh, and the safest interventions and treatments that we can. So w one of the big things as the physician in, in the group is we're obviously seen often and should be um, as, as a leadership position within the emergency department. And I think one of the biggest things for emergency medicine moving forward is being that leadership positions within the hospitals. But just within the emergency department right now, um, seeing as a leadership position, how as a physician um, do we manifest qualities of, of, good, of good leadership and what makes up and the aspects of a good leader? Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, so I think that the major factors that come to mind when we're talking about what makes a good leader in the emergency department is uh, three things. We got to be functional, we have to be dynamic, and we have to be able to either share or delegate roles. So when I mean that we're functional, I mean that, you know, we got to get work done, right? Tasks must be completed. Patients need to be dispoed. You know, patients need to be treated. At the end of the day, that's the bottom line. Um, but to be a good leader, we have to in order to obtain that kind of functionality, we have to kind of provide some overall structure for the team and some sort of direction. We always have to monitor tasks, make sure that we're following up, that things are getting done, coach members of our team up. And we have to, in addition, you know, be clinically competent ourselves because a lot of times we're gonna be, even in a training environment, we're gonna be expected to perform our own hands-on tasks. Um, when it comes to dynamics, that's something we are very familiar with. The emergency department is constantly changing, and so, but our teams are changing as well, right? Every shift, you're working with a different group of nurses, a different group of residents, a different group of consultants, and so uh, that keeps you on your toes, but the experience level of the people that we work with is often different. So I work at an academic institution. It's totally different if I'm working with a fourth year ready to graduate, right, in like a few weeks, versus, you know, an intern that's coming in in a few months. Um, and so uh, that's one part of the dynamic situation. The other part is the extrinsic things, you know, that are pushed upon the team. You know, do we have 50 deep in the waiting room today, 20 deep in the waiting room? What's the acuity of patients that we're seeing? And what kind of resources do we have available? Over COVID, obviously, we had 
very sparse clinical resources, which made us getting our job done a lot more difficult. Um, so that's function, that's dynamics. And the last thing is sharing and delegating. Again, I work in a training environment. So when it comes to uh, being a good leader, I often have to adopt the you know pilot co-pilot model. And I know you're a pilot yourself, and so you know how important that is. But that's how you are basically learning to take over steering the ship, so to speak. Um, and when we, even if you don't work in a environment like I do in an academic setting. Um, I can think of like when you're doing a major trauma resuscitation and it's me and the trauma attending simultaneously co-managing the resuscitation to deliver care. You know, that's very different than, you know, just having one cook in the kitchen. Um, so I think that those three characteristics um, are unique to what we do in the emergency department and uh, help us function as better leaders. But to have a be, to be a good leader, we need a good team. Oh, uh, we have to build a good team. Yep. And so that kind of rolls into that larger component, you know, as the physicians um, working with nurse leadership and, and being a leadership position within the emergency department, um, the key is building that team. Um, and whether in your case in an academic setting, my case a, um, a more of a, not, not rural setting, but more of a community-based setting, but also a lot of different settings across the country, you know, that team dynamic is going to be key. Um, and the, the dynamics are a little bit different between whatever setting you are, especially with academics, uh, academics with that larger uh, accoutrement of, of residents and students and, and all levels that, that kind of break down through there. Uh, but the team dynamic is still gonna be an important role throughout no matter where you are. So what are the characteristics that we need to look at to establish an, uh, a strong team for every shift or as many shifts as possible when we go into the emergency department? Yeah, so you know, a lot of these terms I'm about to use, they sound like little buzzwords or vocabulary words, but I'll tell you what they mean. So characteristics of a good team is you have to have good alignment. And what I mean is your goals have to be aligned. Everybody's gotta be on the same page. That's all that means, right? And so each member of the team needs to understand the directions and the goals. When there's ambiguity about what my job is, what my responsibilities are as a member of the team, it's really hard for me to accomplish those tasks, right? I'm not gonna be a functional member of the team if I don't really know how I fit into the bigger picture. So that's what I'm talking about when it comes to alignment. Um, the other one is transparency. Um, and transparency is just, you know, any kind of team, doesn't matter if it's a group project in high school, doesn't matter, you know, if it's a sports team, whatever, there are always gonna be issues. It's inevitable, right? Um, and so when issues come up, you have to have a culture of transparency, okay? So addressing issues head on with openness, honesty, and respect are super important. Notice how I didn't say judgment, because <laughs> that's like a big one and that I've uh, hit up before in our uh, environment that tends not to work well. But uh, when it comes to transparency, you know, if people think that there's something to hide, then they kind of become suspicious, untrusting, and that's just a surefire way to really have the team dynamics suffer. And the last thing is accountability. Again, the group project mentality, we've all been on group projects before in high school and college, lack of accountability drags down teams. When there's that one member that's not pulling their weight, that's not meeting their deadlines, that's not accomplishing, their tasks in a way that helps move the team forward, uh, it doesn't work. So ensuring that each team member is aware of their responsibilities and really emphasizing the importance of following through is critical to having a solid team. And the key, and one of the keys here, and I mean, obviously the, uh, all three of these uh, are going to be huge. And I think we make the assumption as physicians um, on the alignment that we're all in it 
you know, for the patients, for the patients and their families, for the best outcomes. But you have to look at it, especially now with some of the directions of medicine, uh, whether it's uh, systems, the corporate aspect of medicine, um, or even as, as far down as, you know, the individual goals of what you're what they're trying to accomplish um, each person in the department you know that it seems like the alignment's obvious but that's that's it's very important to drive home that we are there on the same page for the for the patients and their families and their outcomes um, because there's so many different things like especially right now with trying to make sure we click metrics you know we check off metrics that we did such and such in this <laughs> amount of time you know that's not necessarily a patient oriented outcome um, and that's a challenge when we get our eye off the prize of, the, of a patient a valuable value added patient oriented outcome you know we can check all kinds of boxes but is it really in the benefit of the patient transparency that is a huge one those open lines of communication mm -hmm. which in the history of medicine have been very challenging especially with the punitive nature of right. medicine especially when you're dealing with physicians uh, sometimes that punitive nature of being open with the physicians and it's very important especially in the emergency medicine environment that people can feel open and free to communicate especially concerns uh, that may be there. I mean, you sh your, your nurses and your techs and everybody else should be very comfortable being able to come up to you and bring up a concern, something they're observing, uh, because I've, uh, you know, just, you know, thinking back to this last week, a couple times that the nurses have saved my hide, you know, just, just observing something during the course that just didn't make sense with the way the patient was acting or, the, uh, or, or something that was going on. Say, hey, doc, you mind coming back and rechecking and looking at this and, you know, and reassessing? Yes, ab absolutely. I think that's going to be really important. And, of course, the accountability aspect of things. Um, and there's going to be some, there's going to have to be things or, th or conditions out there um, that are going to help us build these dynamics. Because uh, I'm, they, they seem obvious here, but we're not always seeing those in our settings. There's so many different hands in the pot in terms of pulling people different directions. What are some of the things that we're going to implement that we can implement that are going to help to build these good team dynamics? So I think, uh, you know, we're talking about basically how to, what conditions are going to help make a good team, right? And so there's some similarities between the qualities and the conditions, but I'll say that one of the conditions is having a compelling direction, right? Mm -hmm. Having a goal that is shared, a shared goal, is going to help address that alignment issue that we talked about. So I think that when it comes to goals, a team can be inspired, our team can't be inspired if they don't know really what they're working towards, right? So you got to set a goal, it's got to be specific, okay? And it has to be modestly challenging. If it's too challenging and it's impossible, like, hey, we're going to clear the waiting room, even though, you know, there's five hours left in the shift and there's 50 patients in there, like, people are going to be like, yeah, we're, we're never going to clear the waiting room. That's not going to happen. So it has to be an, an attainable goal. But if it's too modest, then it's not going to be motivating. Um, similarly, you know, when it comes to having a good goal, specific, challenging, and there has to be some sort of incentive. Now, in our environment, you know, again, I work in academics, there's no RBUs or anything. So there's no financial incentive, but there are other incentives to doing good work. And um, I think that that would have to do with uh, like an extrinsic incentive would be something like recognition, like, hey, you know, you did a really good job on shift today. I saw that you were hustling. I really appreciate that. We couldn't have done it without you. That's an extrinsic incentive, right? Um, being recognized. Uh, another thing would just be, you know, deriving some sort of intrinsic incentive, meaning that, you know, I feel satisfaction and a sense of meaning because I know I did a good job today. And um, so I think those two 
things would be the things that we rely on in the clinical environment to incentivize people to meet their goals. Another thing I think about is you know having a diverse team. Now we're lucky in the ER because our teams are always diverse, right? You think about like superhero teams, like everybody have a different superpower at you know in the Justice League, right? You can't have like you know three people with super strength. It does not work that way, right? Now in the clinical environment, we're already set up because you know my skill set as an MD is different than the you know the mid-level provider is different than the RN is different than the respiratory therapist is different than you know my consultant the cardiologist whoever and so we're already set up for success by having a diverse team again it's just about getting that team to work together and to unify them and have them see themselves as one um, the other thing I think about is just support and I mean both physical support and emotional support. When I'm talking about physical support, I mean you gotta give people the tools that they need to actually do their jobs. I can't tell you how many times over COVID, like, you know, there's not enough PPE, there's not enough, you know, 18 gauge needles to drop medications or, you know, to perform procedures. None of us can function as a good team and accomplish our goal of delivering patient care without the actual supplies. And then the other support, the emotional support, is just about being like, you know, we got each other's back. We're in this together, you know? I'm gonna be there for you, you're gonna be there for me. And I think that uh, you can't have a well-functioning team without all of those elements. Well, then we've got those that are supportive. Let's talk about some of the torpedoes that are out there. <laughs> so what are some of the things that are going to erode the team dynamics, oh, yeah. uh, the things that we may not even think about um, that, that may just start to poison the, poison the drinking water. You know, so uh, again, these are gonna sound obvious and a little simple, they are, uh, but this is just the nature of communication, okay? So language matters, it matters a lot. And so using language that shirks responsibility, casts blame, or creates divide is going to destroy the team. Now, you know, we are all susceptible to this, especially like, you know, when it's been night five of five, you're hungry, you're tired, you know, you didn't sleep well, then, it's easy to be like, hey, that's not my job, or use like terminology like us versus them, you know, and that's very common, especially when it comes to difficult consultants, you know, but the truth is, is the consultants are a member of our team. I got a patient with an appy, I can't take care of that patient any other way than to have the surgeon be a member of my team. Got a patient with a STEMI, I need the cardiologist. And so I think that trying to model good language, okay, and also, politely, you know, kind of correcting p bad language in a way or having people rephrase it in a way uh, where it's not so divisive uh, can be helpful because using language like that, it breaks people apart. Um, the other thing I think about is any interaction that's not face-to-face -face is a threat to good team dynamics, okay? Especially phone calls, definitely emails, and if you all use Epic, the little secure chat function, oof, is it easy to get snippy in there, okay? So nursing communication orders, like I said, please get another set of vital signs, question, you know, explanation point, like people hate that, all right? So when possible, and I understand that in our busy environment, it's not always possible, but whenever possible, do it face-to-face. -face. You know, I think that people are more respectful, they understand each other more, there's a lot of, you know, most communication is nonverbal, and so, you lose all those nonverbal cues over the phone, and it is easy to get persnickety over the phone, things like this. Now, of course, like, you know, consultants are coming from home. There's, no, there's nothing we can do about that. I'm not going to knock on their bedroom door to wake them up. So when I can't do face-to-face -face interactions, my backup is just watch my tone. Most 
conflicts have to do with not what is said, but how it's said. And, uh, you know, again, I've made this mistake a million times. I'm sure I still will, but I try to be mindful, especially when it's hour 11 of 12 on my shift and I got to call somebody is watch my tone, how I talk to somebody. Cause that's the, that's most of the communication. And that's a lot of times where conflict starts to, um, starts to erupt basically. Um, and then I'll just say the last thing is when you either form or vocalize opinions with incomplete information, it's gonna be a way to destroy teams. And what I'm talking about there is the rumor mill, right? So as soon as you start formulating an opinion and telling everybody like, oh, you wouldn't believe what happened today on shift, blah, 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 this person, blah, blah, I mean, that's just gonna get everybody's feathers ruffled, start up the rumor mill at full speed, and uh, you know, it's gonna lead to a bad team environment. And so trying to put the kibosh on that, you know, I always tell my team like, you gotta keep the drama knob turned way down low, like while I'm here, all right? Because that's how we're gonna accomplish our tasks better. And so those are the, those are the conditions that I think are most threatening to teams. You know, being careful with your language, doing as many, you know, any kind of non-face-to-face interaction is gonna threaten a team, and then the rumor mill. And number one, I think, you know, one of the big things for, for your number two point there in terms of communication, uh, face-to-face communication or whatnot, um, especially, you learn this in residency, is once you have relationships with the people that you're talking to, it becomes much easier. Oh, yeah. Um, and that's even more so in a community setting. And it usually takes, it seems like it takes, you know, a couple of years and then there's a good transition about the five-year mark and then 10-year mark after that, it's just like a bunch of old friends talking. <laughs> And that makes a huge difference. And we actually talk about this in my group. We've, got a, we've been very fortunate in the group that I'm with. Um, it's a single hospital group. And we've, really, we've only had a couple of people leave in the, whole, in the 30, 35 years that we've been working in this hospital. Uh, most people retire out uh, from age rather than any other, uh, any other loss. And you can tell the difference in the interactions. I'm kind of in, kind of in the middle right now. I've been there eight years. Is is you know those that have been there that 15, 20, 25, 30 years versus those that are brand new and the way the consultants interact with them. And a lot of that has to do with that building relationships. Do you know them? Mm-hmm. Um, do you know them outside of the ER setting? Are we always calling them with work to do versus um, we know about their families, we know about their interactions, we've been to uh, events with them. You know, building that, you know, those friendships and relationships make a huge difference. And I, I strongly encourage everybody you know, to do that as you work into um, work into your jobs and into your settings is getting to know the people that you're going to be talking with and working with because that makes a huge difference. And even as simple as in our in our settings in the hospital, which is challenging with the, the turnover rate of nurses and techs and other support staff, is getting to know them and who they are and some of the things that are important. You know, just to, as simple as asking them about family and you know friends and and things that are going on and being supportive. You know, that that can go a long way in terms of building that team dynamic. Uh, but what are some of those other tips? Everybody's got the information now. You've kind of run through some of the do's and don'ts and the characteristics and reasons for the team aspect of things. What are some of the tips uh, that you can uh, help folks transition now from listening to this podcast to their work environment that are going to help foster uh, the team-based culture? Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, we talked about some, you know, terminology, some vocabulary, which is a little philosophical, but the real meat of the talk is, you know, what do I actually do on my next shift to improve team dynamics, right? People want practical tips on how do I actually accomplish these things. And so, you know, I'll just 
give a little disclaimer that everybody's clinical environment's a little bit different. I don't work in your clinical environment, so you know my advice, you gotta adapt it to mm -hmm. whatever the culture is at your program. But I'll talk about a little thing, of a few things that I think work for me and uh, are general enough that probably can be applied with some modifications. Um, so one thing that I do is I always do a team huddle in the beginning of the shift when I come on. And you know, you gotta keep it brief, it's the ER, so no more than three minutes, and I get everybody involved. So me, the residents, the nurses, the EKG techs, environmental services, whoever's working together with me in that department that day, let's get together for a three minute team huddle, okay? We go around, we do introductions. I introduce every, myself and I expect everybody else to introduce themselves by their first name, their role, the area that they're working in, and what shift they're on that day. So, you know, I'd be like, hey, you know, my name's Randy, I'm the ED attending for the day. You know, I'm gonna be working in pod two. I got all 14 beds here and, uh, you know, I'm here until 3 p.m. today. If y'all have any problems, let me know. And then it goes to the next person. Um, I'll say that uh, at that towards the end of the team huddle, after everybody's gone around and done some introductions, then I'll, you know, take up the mic, so to speak, and just go over what I think are the most important priorities and expectations for the shift. So my expectations are is that, you know, we find sick patients, identify and treat them. You know, if you have a patient that you're worried about, come to me, come to one of the senior residents, let me know early. Another one of my expectations are, if y'all are hitting a barrier somewhere along the way, let me know early on. You know, there's a backup NCT, pharmacy hasn't verified the medication, um, you know, there's a behavioral issue popping off in the back of the ER, let me know so that we can address that early on. You know, those are my expectations that the staff come to me with any problems so we can kind of smooth it out and keep the shift nice and smooth. And then at the end, you know, before we break up, I'll just say very explicitly that you know, we succeed as a team, we fail as a team. Like our goal is to take care of patients today. Everybody here is important. I expect that everybody's gonna be, you know, treat each other with respect. And you know, our success is directly linked to how well we work together. Break. And so that's how I do it. I do a team huddle, three minutes in beginning of my shift, and that's kind of my, my little mental checklist. Some other, I got a whole bunch of other tips and tricks, so feel free to interrupt me. <laughs> but uh, the other thing I like to do is try to manage up my team members as much as possible. And what I mean by that is, you know, I go into a room, EMS drops off a patient, they're brand new, we're hooking them up to the monitor, it's me and the nurse, and I'll be like, introduce myself to the patient, I'll be like, hey, you know, I'm your doctor, and Crystal's your nurse today. She's one of our very best in the ER today. You're gonna be t taken care of you know, you'll be in great hands. If you have any issues, you know, she's at one of the mobile computers outside your room and I'm just not too far away, all right? So don't be afraid to ask if you need something. We also have the little whiteboards in the rooms. I usually write up, you know, the names of, you know, who the doctor and who the nurse is for that patient for the day. But I think the key of talking up the nurse in front of the patient is it makes them feel good, you know? And when they feel good, they tend to be a better version of themselves. Now, like, is every provider I work with in the ER, like the best nurse I've ever worked with? Like, no, but a lot of them are. But I'll say that if I want them to be their best selves that day, it only helps to talk them up, you know? And, you know, I do it for my residents, my nurses, when I'm coming off shift and handing over care, I'll be like, hey, you know, it, it was such a pleasure taking care of you today. I know you're still waiting on that CAT scan. I'm actually coming off shift, but Dr. Stanton's coming on. He is one of our very best in the emergency department. I checked out to him. He knows what you're waiting on. He's here for you if you need anything. He's one of our best doctors we got, so you're in great hands. It makes the patient feel good. It makes you feel good. I think it tends to set you up for more success on shift. Um, 
I'll always do routine check-ins with the nurses, you know, how's everything going with the patient, et cetera. What I've learned the hard way is if I say like kind of some vague questions, like, oh, how's everything with the patient in room five? They'll be like, oh yeah, that's fine. You know, so a vague question gets a vague answer. Um, and then by the time I'm over to room eight, checking in with that nurse, they're like, oh yeah, I forgot to tell you, they actually need their pain medicine re redosed. And uh, the x-ray, like the order was put in wrong. It's supposed to be the right lower extremity, but it's actually left or lower extremity. I'm like, oh, okay, fine. So what I've learned to do is ask a lot more specific questions when I do my check-in. So if I'm in room five, I'll be like, oh, hey, you know, like, is there pain control? Do they need any additional medication for nausea? Okay, let me know if there's any problems with the, you know, throughout the shift, I'm gonna go move on, whatever. But if I ask more specific questions during my check-ins, I'll get more information, you know? Um, and so I'll always check in, that kinda helps me stay on top of stuff and, um, you know, helps the team function a little bit better. Again, like identify barriers earlier and address them. And then, you know, I also think that if we offer help whenever possible, it looks good for us. Now I get it, like we're very busy people. We can't be doing everybody's job all the time, but a patient rolls in off the EMS stretcher, I put my gloves on, I help move them over to the bed. You know, it all in Louisiana, we got a lot of bigger patients and it is important to have many people to save your back to get them <laughs> moved over. So, you know, showing that you're a team player, helping while I'm interviewing the patient, helping them take off the shirt while the nurse is putting on the leads, you know, like I, little things like that go a long way to demonstrating that this is a team. I'm not above, you know, helping out because it is important. I expect you to help me too, you know? Um, and so I think little things like that are important. I'll say that if I have a colleague that's super overwhelmed um, and I see that they're drowning, it's hard to go up to them and be like, hey, what do you need from me? Because a lot of times people are so in the weeds, they don't even know what needs to be delegated, you know? And so if I see that somebody is struggling, maybe, you know, it's a colleague running a code um, and I'm just happen to be walking by and I'm like, hey, what do you need from me? Instead, like a lot of people don't know, just observe the environment and look for a way to help. It can be as something as moving a mayo stand out of the way, grabbing a piece of equipment, you know, like, I mean, it doesn't, it doesn't take too much. So I just say that, you know, looking for an opportunity to help and then just anticipating that action and doing it demonstrates that that's what, you know, I'm setting an example of what, of how I think a team should function, you know, and I anticipate that, you know, my nurses pick up on those cues and end up doing the same. They anticipate my actions and, and, and bring me things without asking. And, you know, I do the same for them, you know? And so if I see them blow an IV and I'm staying right next to the IV card, I just grab out another 18 and put it, you know, on the mail stand next to them so that they don't have to get up, you know, and they, those little actions speak volumes in the end. Oh, the, uh, I got more tips, I'm sorry. The other thing I'll say is uh, this one I stole from, you know, the Team Steps, which, you know, is a big initiative and all the resources are available online for it. But it's basically, uh, you know, how do, how do teams function? How do teams communicate? And one of the big things that I took away from that is the cuss mnemonic. And we're not talking about like the four letter word, but we're talking about like, I am concerned, help me understand and stop, this is a safety issue. But I teach my team during the huddle about those vocabulary words, those are good ways to get my attention. You know, if I'm blowing something off and they're like, hey, I'm really concerned about the patient in room eight. You know, we already gave them a milligram of uh, Dilaudid. They're still in pain. They really look uncomfortable. And I'm like currently with a respiratory distress. But if they say, I am concerned, you know, help me understand why. Or, you know, I think that this is a safety issue. It is like a marker to communicate with me that like they're escalating the issue. They're using those 
buzzwords to get my attention. Same thing, I can do it with them, I can do it with consultants, but it helps us communicate in a, in a way where we all understand each other's language. Um, and then the last thing I'll say is simulation when it comes to communication team dynamics, that is like the best. Now, I'm not a sim person and depending on your institution, you might not have a big old fancy sim center, but you don't even need it. I embrace the in situ sim, meaning like, you know, it's a slow night, we have a trauma bay empty, let's run a sim trauma, you know, where something goes wrong, where there's a medication error, where there's a communication error, where there's a disagreement in plans, and how are we gonna, and then we'll debrief afterwards and discuss, like how did that go, how could it go better, you know? Um, but I think that, you know, whenever you try to do that with people, they're definitely like, think it sounds really silly, like that stupid exercise. They're like, oh my God, okay, Rainy's gonna make me go do this. But I'm telling you, after you run it, after you talk about it, people are like, oh, that was really helpful. And I do have ideas about how we could do this better. Or, you know, you understand other people's workflow and it goes a long way, but communication is a skill. Just like innovation, just like placing a chest tube, you know, it feels uncomfortable at first, you're gonna make mistakes, but you will only get better through practice. And so using SIM, even that lo-fi in situ sim can be extraordinarily helpful to helping you be better at these skills and to create a more sustainable culture change. When I saw this pop up, I saw cussing pop up on your uh, <laughs> during your talk. I was all excited. I was like, man, I got this one nailed. And uh, then I said, oh, wait a second. That's a concern, understand, safety issue. And actually, this is, that's an important thing. And I think part of that openness, that transparency rolls into this is your staff, your nurses especially, are they comfortable in talking with you about a concern they have? And I actually have multiple times uh, a shift. Uh, nurses will come up and, and say, help me understand how we did it this way or why we did it this way or why did you think of that or what was the reason we went that direction? And helping them understand and educate um, on how the process works and why you thought about that and the thing that tipped you off. And because then not only do you educate and help them advance their careers, uh, but also um, because emergency medicine does tend to be a, a, a younger uh, nursing career. I mean, they, they tend to move on uh, to other areas of the hospital uh, over time, just the burnout that all of us suffer with, with the constant pressures of emergency medicine. Um, but but helps educate them, but also helps them look for look for things. But also that openness to come and talk to you and say and say, hey, listen, I actually am concerned about this. Um, it's not going the way we expected. So help me understand what's the next steps, or or can you come recheck it, mm -hmm. or what should we do next? And you know that open communication because um, I mentioned it earlier, the nurses will save your butts, uh, you know, more often uh, than you you would ever imagine because of that close interaction with the patients and the families, and you know the stories that are different. And and as an attending, you know, residents out there, you know, the, you always get frustrated because the attending gets a little bit different story. Oh, of course, always. the story, <laughs> you know, the second and third time through is a lot more polished. They remember things mm -hmm. that they had forgotten earlier, um, and so you get in also the experience of asking those specific questions based on the things that we have seen in the past and that, uh, you know, the, the exposures to certain things that should be triggers uh, to say, oh, crap, we need to think about this. Um, so, you know, it's, it's a, a new topic, different topic. I didn't say it's a new topic. It's a different topic. You know, we talk about a lot of the practice-based, um, symptom-based, pathology-based but improving uh, team dynamics is, is important for us in emergency medicine. Uh, talking with Dr. Randy Sorge. How can folks get in, talk, uh, in touch with you if they have questions, uh, want to communicate with you moving forward? 
Oh yeah, absolutely. So my email is rsorge, my last name, S-O-R-G-E, L-S-U-H-S-C.edu. But honestly, Gmail is the best way. So it's rmsorge at gmail.com. Yeah, that's a lot easier. I agree. <laughs> I agree. If it was lsu.edu, but there's other things added in that makes it a little bit more complicated. Yeah. <laughs> so. um, and as for me, you can contact me, rstanton at asap.org, rstanton at asap.org, um, at Everyday Med on Twitter. also invite you to follow us along on Facebook on ASAP Frontline and subscribe to the podcast on whatever platform you like because we're on most of them and um, get to every weekly download. And, and now that we're starting to see a um, drawdown of some of the COVID actions, uh, we're seeing more in-person conferences and we'll hope to bring you more uh, traditional type uh, ASAP Frontline podcasts um, from these conferences and topics to help you improve your practice no matter where you are. Um, and as for me, I'm Dr. Ryan Stanton, and you've been listening to ASAP Frontline. <laughs>